his likeness he fashions the clay a vessel of honor I am today oh, because Jesus didn't throw the clay away Yeah, no, it, uh, How long are you I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I think that's what's throwing me off because it says hold, so I'm holding it longer. Oh, I see. I see. Well, I don't know. Oh. That was probably me saying to myself, I'm going to have to hold it. Oh, okay, because okay, it's a longer note. So okay, you well, do it like it's supposed to. The, the handouts, if you'd like one of those, they've got those uh, for you. And um, we're going to deal with that one subject that no preacher ever wants to deal with tonight. And yet everyone thinks it's a subject every preacher is just sitting there going, you know, just waiting to deal with. And to be honest with you, I'd rather just never preach on it. But it is in the Bible, and it's one of those things that... Uh, uh, is important, I think, uh, to be brought forth. And so we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3 tonight. Proverbs chapter number 3 and verse number 9 um, as we start it. And uh, I'm going to try to be pretty uh, tight with the notes uh, tonight so I don't deviate off course and get myself in trouble and run half the people of the church off and all that good stuff. So i try my best in that way. Uh, here tonight, but all, all kidding aside, I am excited to to visit about this and uh, to take God's word and do like we do in every service and just present the word of God as it's found in Scripture and uh, allow it to be something that can be very life giving and life changing for folks. Um, I know for me, when I learned this concept, even as a young child and then even as a teenager, uh, how important it. Uh, was and has become in my life. And uh, so I would say it comes from a place, if we can say it this way, more than a pastor to a church, this is more a Christian to another Christian, uh, sharing about the joys of this uh, endeavor that we get to do together of tithing. 
uh, it really is a tremendous blessing. So Proverbs chapter 3 here tonight, if you're able to, let's stand together to honor the reading of God's Word. We're just going to read one verse. Now we're going to come back to this verse towards the end of the uh, lesson here tonight. Uh, but we're going to start here and then kind of depart from it and then come back to it. Okay. So Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 9, it would say this, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. Just a short verse, let's read it one more time there. Honor, uh, and again, we're not really going to preach the verse tonight, so just take a moment here and recognize that. Uh, honor would be this, you know, just recognizing position. So it's one of those things of saying, God, you're high. And you're holy and you're exalted and I'm recognizing that. I'm, I'm putting you on a pedestal. Well, how do we honor the Lord? Well, you do it with your substance. It's one of the ways that we actually worship the Lord just as much as singing and just as much as uh, preaching and ministry. Uh, even with our substance, we can honor the Lord. We can worship the Lord. It, when we pass offering, that's as much an aspect of worship as any other part of the service is. Okay? And with the first fruits of all thine increase. And of course, we'll deal with that last part towards the end of the sermon. So may God bless the reading of His Word. You can be seated. And thank you for uh, standing in honor of the Scriptures uh, here tonight. Let me go ahead and uh, make a little bit of a preface uh, here tonight. I really struggled uh, with this uh, about how to approach it. Um, and uh, have been praying and thanking uh, Gary will actually tell you we've had a couple conversations even about it over the last couple months about how to approach this and, and to do it in a, in a, in a right way. And uh, I know my spirit and I know my heart where it's at, but sometimes that doesn't always convey. So uh, try to be mindful of that uh, in maybe somebody who's here tonight who has never heard this before. And then also on the other side of that, maybe those who have heard it before but still haven't bought in. Right, it's still maybe not a practice in your life. And so I understand that dynamic and sometimes how this can be maybe more of a sensitive subject because it is so objective. Right? There's a lot of things in life, uh, like we could talk about soul winning, and that can be very subjective where somebody feels like if they talk to one person, they've fulfilled that obligation, whereas others feel like they need to talk to 20 people a day you know, or something. It's maybe a little bit more subjective in that, whereas this is either, either it is or it isn't, right? There's, it's kind of, there's no real wiggle room in that. It's very black and white, very objective. And so I really prayed, God, how do you want me to approach this and to deal with it? And so in that mindset, I actually decided to take what was one lesson and, and kind of split it into two. So that there's one lesson that we're going to deal with this about tithing, the joys of tithing. Uh, then another lesson that we'll deal with here, uh, not ne the next lesson, but the next one, the eighth lesson in the series, will be about giving and just the difference of that. So grace giving, like what would be faith promise or like to the youth fund or to the building fund. But we're going to deal with tonight this idea of tithing. And the reason why is because the Bible kind of deals with these two ideas differently. The, this type of giving from the surplus it's a free will offering. It's that which is done of abundance. This is more of that which is given as a command and that which is more as a, hey, in obedience and faith, we do this. So they're just approached differently in the scripture. So I felt like we were able to do this a little bit different in that way. Whereas with the giving side, maybe address it this way. It, the, it's a thing that's fun. It's joyful. 
it, it's a, it's maybe if you've never done it before, you show the joys of it. Whereas this message, I hope it doesn't come across this way, but there's some aspects even in the Bible where it comes across as uh, to not obey is to live in disobedience. And so even some of the posture that's taken in Scripture is that of Christ giving correction when there isn't obedience in this area. So again, understand my heart in this is not to uh, come across as just, ah, it's to present the scriptures as they are given to us. And almost if you view it this way, instead of pastor to church, Christian to Christian, and saying, hey, just like any other biblical principle that we would deal with, this is an act of faith and obedience to God. So th this isn't a, um, you know, televangelist getting up there and saying, send in $100 and we'll give you a, a sweat rag that I wiped off Kyle Hastings' forehead <laughs> that now is blessed with spiritual blessings, you know, or something. So, sorry, Brother Kyle, I just had to steal that from you. Yeah, yeah. It's more, it says worth more than 100 <laughs> If you're interested in that after the service, you can see this man right here, amen? So that, that is not what this is, and I understand where people get a bad taste towards churches about money because there are charlatans out there who fleece churches and vulnerable people, and that is not what this is. I want to present the scriptures here tonight as they are. So with that in mind, giving all the, the prefaces and, and, and all the warning shots, let's get into this, okay? So let me give just a really quick, just a real quick review of where we've been Obviously, we've talked about this, everything belongs to God, it comes from God. So where maybe there's been a view of, hey, even tonight, 10% belongs to God, but everything else belongs to me. The biblical perspective is everything belongs to the Lord, and, and that really is a tremendous blessing there, uh, that we get that right perspective about it. Okay. Second thing we talked about is don't be a sluggard. God wants you to work, right? God wants you to go out and put an honest day's work in for an honest pay and do it uh, good to others for the glory of God. Okay, That really is a good mindset about that. Uh, the third lesson we have was about learning contentment, learning to uh, be content with the things that God's given you. Uh, godliness with contentment, the Bible says, is great gain. And you can learn contentment by giving thanks and learning to give. The fourth thing we talked about is this, debt is dangerous, so do your best to avoid bad debt. It can get you in a lot of trouble. And then last week, of course, we talked about that dirty word called budgeting, and we talked about developing a budget so that you can tell your money where it goes instead of it telling you where it wants to go. And so a wonderful blessing of being able to do uh, that there. Okay, so let's talk about this aspect of the, the tithe. <clears throat> so uh, let's define what tithing is. So tithing defined. So a tithe, the word literally means this, giving or paying a tenth. Tithe means the tenth part. Now, there's a lot of people who have talked about paying a different percentage. We did like a, um, a skit one time when I was on staff at Cottondale about like a drive-through church. And we were advertising oh, this month only 5% tithe. You know, it's just kind of just like this joke. But that mathematically doesn't make sense because the word tithe literally means the tenth part. You say, well, how do you know the tithe is 10%? Because the word literally means 10%. Like it's, it's what the word is. So that's what the word literally means is the tenth part or giving a tenth. Now, <clears throat> tithing is different than giving. Okay? 
And, and again, we'll try to make this distinction when we do the lesson on giving a little bit more than we will in this lesson. Uh, but giving, when we think about we're going to give something to the Lord, giving is that which is done above and beyond the tithe. The tithe is presented not as a gift as much as it is an act of obedience okay, and something that we do. Now, again, maybe I'm trying to be a little bit crossing hairs there, but the Bible does present them differently, and even the posture and attitude towards them is a little bit different. Okay? Giving is that which is done above the tithe. The tithe is the portion that is commanded to be given. Now, tithing is one of the most tangible acts of faith we can do. It's very objective. You either are or you aren't doing it. I mean, that's just kind of the, it's, it's black and white. It, it's really not complicated in that sense. So just mathematically speaking, uh, you get $10, 10% is a dollar. So I mean, if, if a person's going to tithe, like if I pay my son $10 for doing a job, for him to tithe would be to give $1 of that, okay? Now, uh, maybe a right way to view this, because a lot of times people are like, oh man, you're talking, I have to give 10% to God. Again, think about this way, it all belongs to him. So imagine if it were, if I were to come up to my son here and I were to say, hey, I'm going to give you $10, and all I ask is that you give me the $1 back. Okay, well, he's $9 richer for me of giving him the $10. Now, you say, well, I don't view it that way because I did the work and I did this. Um, if God wanted to, he could change that perspective on money really fast, uh, which he can. In the Bible, it talks about that he would blow upon it, or they earn money and put it into bags with holes, and, and how God would take their income or their increase, and because they weren't being faithful, he says, I gave you 10, and you weren't willing to give me one back, so now I'm taking the 10 away. Yep. Okay, so God, God has done that with Israel before and with his people, and I've seen him do it with, with believers as well, where there are those who will be unfaithful and how God blows upon it and how God can allow them to put that money that's been earned into a bag with holes. And so that's one way, of course, to view it there. It's very objective. It either is or it isn't. So Randy Alcorn in his book said this, the tithe is the training wheels of giving. T tithing is like the training wheels of giving. It, it's the basics uh, if I say this, if you talk about the basics of the Christian life, you talk about like Bible reading, prayer, uh, you know, soul winning, leading someone to Christ, like the, the, the basic things, tithing is there. And it's one of the most, it's one of the easiest things to do because it's so objective. It either is or it isn't. It's not a hard concept for people to be able to understand. So <clears throat> number three there, the first mention of tithing or number two on your notes, the first mention of tithing. So this is in Genesis chapter 14 and verse number 20, where it says this, And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. It's the first time the word tithe is used in the Bible. So context about what's happening here uh, within this passage of Scripture. So there's a group of city-states. At this time, uh, every city is basically its own kingdom. So there's a city and a king over it. So there's five kings that have caused this war to go on that Lot, uh, Abraham's nephew, has gotten caught up in. And Lot and his family and his possessions have been taken away. And so Abraham musters his servants and they go and go to war with these people. 
and get all the stuff back. Okay? So there's an a interesting character that shows up by the name of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was caught up in this warfare as well. And he is identified as the king of Salem. Now, Salem in Genesis would be later on renamed Jerusalem. Okay, it's the same town. It's the same location. And he's described as this. He is a priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek is an interesting character because he is prophet, priest, and king. Now, that should sound familiar because only one other person that's described that way in the Bible is Jesus Christ. Prophet, priest, and king. So Melchizedek is kind of a, a type if you will, of Christ. Now, Abraham, recognizing Melchizedek is a priest of God, takes the spoil that he has gained from this battle that's just happened, and he gives him a tenth of all of it to God through Melchizedek. So we have, before the law ever happens, this instance of tithe taking place. Now, again, this predates the law. So um, a lot, we'll point this out here in a moment. A lot of people say, well, tithing is just exclusive to the uh, law that was given to Moses. But here we have an instance of tithing taking place that predated the law. And so here we have an instance of that actually happening. Now, this means that tithing was not introduced with the law given to Moses. And this means that tithing didn't start with the Old Testament laws. It happened way before that. So here we go, this next one, tithing in the law. So here we go where there's a lot more uh, explanation in talking about tithing. Okay, we're going to lay some groundwork here. Okay, Leviticus 27:30, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Now, the word there, holy, literally means this. It is set apart. The word holy means it's special, it's set apart, it belongs exclusively to God. So uh, here we have the first mention of this. It's mentioned again in Numbers and it's mentioned again in Deuteronomy that God had an expectation on Israel that all of their increase, whether it was crops or livestock or whatever it was, that it would be brought to the storehouse there where the temple was, the tabernacle, and it would be tithed. It would be contributed and then it would be used for the Levites who would do the work of the Lord. Okay, that, that's how the tithing worked in Israel. That's how the Levites who worked on the temple grounds got paid and got food and got taken care of. So all the people of Israel would take the first of the crops that came in, 10% of that, and they would give it unto the Lord because it already belonged to him. They were, they were just giving God his stuff that belonged to him. Okay, so that's... Tithing as it's mentioned in the law. So here we have tithing in the New Testament. Okay, tithing in the New Testament. Jesus talks about tithing to the Pharisees and rebukes them for making tithing more important than judgment, mercy, and faith. Now, obviously, Jesus put a lot of weight on those issues way over any spiritual exercise like tithing or giving or even prayer or preaching. He put a lot of things, emphasis on judgment and mercy and faith. But he also makes it clear that the Pharisees are not to leave tithing undone. So when he's dealing with the Pharisees, he says this, 
It's not that they were doing wrong by tithing. He's telling them they're putting too much emphasis on tithing. And they're not giving any emphasis to more important things. It was more about the emphasis, not about the practice that he was judging there. So he actually mentions that in Matthew 23, 23, where he says this. And you won't have it in your notes or on the screen, but let me read it to you. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Now notice this. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. So what he's saying there is it's good that you're doing that, but you're putting way too much emphasis on this and you're totally disregarding this. And he was trying to give emphasis to the weightier matters of the law, things that were more important, that needed more emphasis. Also, according to Hebrews in chapter number 7, Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Again, going before law. Now, this is significant because like Melchizedek was this type of Christ, prophet, priest, and king, this interesting figure that we see in the book of Genesis in chapter 14. We also see in Hebrews chapter number 7 that it talks about this instance. So again, you won't have this in your notes there. I encourage you to read it later. But Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 8 would read this way. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may say, uh, so say, Levi also who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Verse 17 then says this, For he testified, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So he's saying this, he uses the illustration of paying tithes, a recognition that Melchizedek was the priest of the Most High God. And he says that recognition of paying tithes, he said, that wasn't just for Melchizedek and it wasn't just for the law. It's worthy that Christ should receive that same honor. For he is a prophet and priest and king after the order of Melchizedek. So here we have again some New Testament illustrations and talking about this idea of tithing even past the law. Now, law to grace in tithing. Law to grace in tithing. So let me go ahead and work on this a little bit because this is a subject that has caused many a debate on social media and Google. Don't Google it. You'll be more confused than you should be. Okay, so... A lot of people say, well, the law required tithing, but now we're in this age of grace. And in the age of grace, we no longer have to follow the civil and the ceremonial laws. We don't have to do what Israel had to do in those days with those things. So why is tithing then carried over? So in the law, tithing was required. <laughs> but according to Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, particularly Matthew chapter number 5, verse 17 to 48, Jesus talks about the fact that he came to fulfill the law. And every time he talks about fulfilling the law, he talks about taking it to a new level or new standard. You've heard it said, but I say unto you, right? That's all in Matthew chapter number 5. 
So he comes and he's basically understand, helping them understand this. No one can perfectly keep the law. So Christ is required in order to redeem us from sin. But he also presents in there this understanding that the spirit of the law reigns supreme. So they were trying to get around the law because, well, the law says I can't commit adultery, but I'm going to do this, that, and the other to sneak around that. And Jesus comes and says, no, 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 if you even look at a woman in lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. So he clarifies and fulfills, gives better understanding of what the Old Testament law was. So based on that, he doesn't actually talk about this idea of tithing, but based about how he dealt with the rest of the law, if giving is no longer bound by duty of 10%, but was given of a willing heart and mind, even beyond this minimal standard is what would be presented in Matthew 5 based on what he's shown there, would be this. If it's no longer a requirement, now it's done with liberty. Liberty usually looks like this, more. <laughs> so uh, for that to be an argument, it, it really kind of doesn't work super well with that. Okay? So some would argue that tithing is no longer a requirement, and under grace, we are free from tithing. We, we no longer have to have that oppressive tithe. We're free from it. So here may be a couple of follow-up thoughts and questions about that. If not 10%, then it appears the New Testament encourages giving more. Based on what Jesus talks about in his other teachings, if that's not the requirement, the New Testament gives grace and liberty, whether it seems like there actually is more, not less, involved in that then. Then the second thought would be this. Is this attitude coming from a heart of earnest conviction, study, and prayer, or an attempt to shirk responsibility? I'm just asking in, in all honesty, those that would ask this or would be belligerent in this area, is it coming from a genuine heart that says, I truly want to follow the scriptures and I truly earnestly believe that the Bible teaches this and so that's why I practice it? Or is it trying to find a loophole, right? Is that more where the heart is coming from? It's just a question that probably needs to be asked. Now, here's probably the most confrontational posture the Bible takes in this regard toward Israel in all of the Bible is this thought. Will a man rob God? Now this is the exact question that's asked in the book of Malachi. In Malachi chapter 3, I won't read the scripture here tonight. Malachi 3 verses 8 through 12 deals with this very idea. Again, for sake of time and, and just all of that, I won't actually have to do this. But he asks this question, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. And then the people respond this way. Wherein have we robbed you? And so he comes and he says very clearly in tithes and offerings. So he's helping them understand they weren't literally running like sneaking in to the, the tabernacle there and, and thieving God from his things. But by withholding what belonged to the Lord... They, in essence, were doing just that. They were stealing from God. They were robbing from Him. So God responds with that and says, Because of your disobedience in this area, I am going to shut the windows of heaven. It's an agricultural society. We know how that is when we don't get rain around here. Some are like that this year. I'm going to hold out the rain. I'm going to allow the devourer, is what they're called in the Bible here, grasshoppers and locusts to come through and eat up the crops. And you're going to have something and whatever you get, I'm going to go and blow on it. 
So it's just going to float away. So God responds to their disobedience and says here, I'm going to judge you for your disobedience in this area of thieving. Now, maybe we'd ask this question. Why would someone turn to stealing? Just kind of in a general sense. Why would somebody steal anything? So maybe get a little bit of uh, interaction here from why, why would somebody steal just in general? Why would somebody like sneak into a store or a person's house and steal something? Brother Kyle? Yeah, I mean, that's usually the most uh, evident reason why somebody would steal. They go, I want what they got. <laughs> they go in there and they steal it. What's another reason, though, somebody might steal some other thoughts that are out there? What's that? Yeah, it could be actually born out of like a, a legitimate need. That, come on, what one of us men, if we really got in dire straits and had to feed our family and we were some type of wartime situation, wouldn't revert to doing anything it required, right? It might be a desperation thing, not just a I want, but a I need situation. What's some other reason? Kyson, what do you got? Yeah, maybe they owe someone something. I looked up on Google the great answers Google gives, of why someone would turn to stealing. You know the number one reason people steal in 2023 is peer pressure. That was the number one reason they said people steal is because their uh, buddy puts them up to it or that it's an initiation thing or everyone else is doing it, so I might as well do it too. We're going to smash and grab, whatever the case may be. Another reason was mental health problems. They're doing it because they don't know any better or they have issues there. Some people did it just because it's a rush. They stole something, not because they needed or wanted something, but because it just gave them that adrenaline rush. Some people actually identified as a kleptomaniac, somebody who just loves stealing, and, and they just enjoy the experience of stealing things. And then, of course, the feeling of lack or needing or wanting something and that they wanted it there. So maybe a more pointed question in this, and this is more of a rhetorical question, so don't answer out loud on this one. Maybe a more pointed question, why would anyone steal from God? But maybe a little bit more of a pointed, because it's the question that's asked in the scriptures, is will a man rob God? It's just a very pointed question that he asked there. Very few people would ever imagine breaking into the church and stealing things, or as the offering plate was passing in front of them, snatch up some of the money. Okay, I know there are people who would do that. I know it because they used to do it out where we were at in Kaufman all the time. They're constantly stealing stuff and breaking things and all kinds of stuff. And um, so people do do that, steal and snatch and grab and take money from churches. And there was a Church of Christ down the road from us there where the treasurer actually embezzled some $90,000 from the church over a period of 20 years. Just crazy. Uh, so I do understand that that legitimately happens, but very few people will do that, Right. There are those who will, but very few people do. But God revealed to his people that they were robbing him, not by smashing and grabbing or taking, but by withholding their tithes from him. So in these verses, robbery is actually used in this sense, like a forcible robbery. So the, the way God, the Hebrew word that's used there in this passage of Scripture in Malachi, is almost like I'm going to rob Gary, and I pull a gun on him, and I say, give me your wallet. Like, that's the word that's used in Hebrew. He's saying that's how God viewed his people when they were withholding the offerings. He said it was like as if they were coming up to God. It's <laughs> kind of a, a, a funny imagery here that God's people were coming up to God and holding him at gunpoint and saying, give it to me. It's mine. You don't deserve it. 
And so it's a very graphic imagery. And so, of course, God's people say, we have not done, whoa, we hadn't done that. And so then Malachi comes and says, yes, you have. And this is exactly how it has been done. So because they stole from God, God, of course, was judging them financially. God was judging them financially because they were robbing him. He was withholding his blessing. Now, again, we're not a health and wealth, you know, name it, claim it. Uh, you know, that, that's just not in the scriptures. It's not revealed that way. But there is plenty of scriptures that identify that blessings follow faithfulness in the area of finances. That's why we're even going through this. And there's also on the other side where there is withholding of blessings for those who would disobey in this area. So there is scriptural evidence for these very evident things within the scripture. So the principles and practices of tithing. Here's where rubber meets the road, and we're going to give the very clear principles and practices of tithing. What does the Bible actually teach about what we're supposed to do? Okay. So here's the first one. Give God 10% of all your increase. <clears throat> so again, rubber meet the road. This is where a Christian to another Christian just telling you this. It was a tremendous blessing in my life as a young man that I grew up in a home that taught me what it meant to tithe. I'm very beyond thankful for that. When I turned 16 years old, I got a job at the Springtown Feed Store and at the time, I was working part-time, and I think my check every week was like 80-something bucks. That's almost comical now to think about. I think I was making six and a quarter. That was minimum wage at the time. And uh, get that money. And I, I still remember I would take my money, and at the time, this was my practice. I was able to do this at the time. Immediately when I got my paycheck, I would set aside the, the tithe, 10%. And at the time, I was tithing an additional 10% that I was giving to missions, so I was given 10 to missions, and then I would fill up my truck with gas. Nowadays, that would take all $80. <laughs> I'd put some gas in my truck, and then whatever was remaining, I'd put it into a savings account for college. That, through high school, that was just my practice and what I did. Now, I understand I didn't have some expenses other people had because my parents helped out with some things like insurance and things like that other people had to pay for. So I was able to put back for college a lot more. And so I learned early on, I'm not going to buy the Dr. Pepper or go out and eat or do this, that, or the other. I was a big saver, and that was, that's just every week, that's what my paycheck looked like. So it was a blessing at the time, and I'm thankful that I had some parents that taught me that. Now, I'll be honest, it was easier to tithe as a single man when it was just me, and I was getting just a little bit of extra, more or less, spending money to be able to learn that principle of tithing. But here's the thing, as it carried through into college and then into married life and then on now with children and things, it's just one of those things where it has become a habit and a practice and it's just second thought. We just never even question it. There's never even an, an attitude or a, a heart mindset. We say, well, yeah, well, you're a pastor. Well, I hadn't always been. Right? And I hadn't always been full-time in ministry. And there's been times where, especially when I was in college, that I was like eating ramen in the dorm and still was giving, at that time, actually was giving much more to missions because I wanted to. And I just made some life choices that my giving was going to be heavy, but I always did the tithe. And so I don't say that as just a thing of saying, oh, I'm just grateful that I had somebody that reached out to me as a, as a young believer and taught me the joy 
of being right with God in the area of money with tithing. And so if I could be this, just as another Christian to another Christian say this, it really is a blessing. I'm so grateful that I was taught and am able to be able to do that. Okay, So Proverbs 3.9 would describe it this way, all thine increase. So you say, well, what's increase? Well, have you been increased? Well, there you go. I mean... It, in the Bible, so difficult, you know. I'm not trying to belittle this, but just saying, the Bible talks about when there's increase that we give off the increase. We give the 10% off of that. So any income or gain should be tithed on. Here's the big question that constantly is debated over, gross or net, right? Well, do I tithe off of the gross or do I tithe off of the net? Well, I'll just say this. I've always practiced the gross because I'd rather be on the right. You know what I mean? I'd rather pay more than less and just be right on that. Um, people might have different views on that. But by and large, evangelical, so this would be like all those who believe salvation the way that we do. So it's a large swath, not just Baptist. Of evangelicals, they said that the, the standard statistical is right now, of those who identify as evangelicals, there's less than 10% that tithe. So Dave Ramsey, in one of his big speeches, says, who cares if you're debating over gross or net? Rarely anyone's doing it anyway. So he's saying, do one of them. Just, just obey and do what God has called you to do and just do what it is. It's more of an issue of faith than it is of mathematical issue. So... That's not really a big question in my mind. So the next one there, the principle of first fruits. So I mentioned we were going to come back to this Proverbs 3.9. It says, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. First fruit principle simply teaches this in Scripture. It is not only that we give God 10%, but that we give Him the first 10% before we address anything else. So that in the illustration with the $10... Before I decide what I'm going to do with any of the other of that money, I give God His first. Well, why? Because if we address God last, it doesn't happen. So that, that, that first fruit, again, in an agricultural society, we're not that way. We deal with monetary, with the money and things. But in an agricultural society, they would go out and they would harvest the crop. So when they would harvest the crop, they would say, hey, we got 100 bushels Take the first 10 bushels that we've picked here, and that goes to God before we go sell or do anything else or start eating on any of this. That was the principle of first fruits. Okay, let her see there. Amount has nothing to do with it. Now, again, I, I do believe maybe it's easier when you're dealing with less, but I've had people who are low income who go, I can't tithe, I don't make enough money. And then I've had people say, I, that's a lot of money because now I make a lot, and that's a big chunk. So I've learned it has very little to do with the amount, whether it's a kid that makes a dollar a week for an allowance or whether it's somebody that's making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Really, the principle is exactly the same for one and the other. It, they're exactly the same. It's 10% is how God works with that. And so obviously, I don't think it really is easier one way or the other. And the reality is just an act of faith and obedience before God. It's not easier if it's less. It's not easier if it's more. There could be maybe, maybe an argument made for the less side, but ultimately it is an act of faith and obedience. Okay, letter D there. You can afford it. So again, just to kind of maybe blow this myth out of the water, I understand where we're at with, our, with money right now. Trust me. I understand where we're at with inflation and where money is at. 
But the reality is Matthew 6.21 says this, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You spend money on things that you care about. What, what you value is where your money gets funneled to. And we all have choices that have to be made. To do this means I don't do this. And to do this means I don't do this. So all of us have options and choices that we're making with our finances. So this may seem strange or like a weird concept to somebody that never has done it before, but everyone can afford the tithe. It just has to be a priority and a heart issue for you. If it's the first thing on the budget, if it's the first line item that gets dealt with, and then everything else gets addressed after that. Um, you know, very few of us, there might be some, very few of us would probably want to play around with the IRS and cheat them of the money that's required them. Why? Because there's consequences. But you're going to cheat God out of that which He's asked of us. And again, just trying to maybe let that hit, because again, in the Bible, it even presents it that way. Will a man rob God? So amount really has nothing to do with it. You can afford it. All right. Letter E, God doesn't need your money. Actually, by extension, and don't take this the wrong way, because we do, but the church doesn't need your money. Okay, let me really be careful in how I say that, because God has designated that that's how the church functions, that the needs of the church are provided by, by the membership of the church. I mean, that's how it functions. I mean, this place doesn't just exist on a hope and a prayer, right? We, there, there's bills and things that get paid, and that happens because God's people see the need of a Bible-preaching church in Bridgeport. And so they give so that there's a place where God's Word is preached. I mean, that's just how it works. So understand what I mean by this, of saying God doesn't need it. It's not that God's greedy or that our church is asking you to give to satisfy our wants, but instead it's an act of faith and obedience once again. One of the most objective and tangible things God has given us as an act of faith is this aspect of giving. It's just super easy. God has chosen to equip His church through His people, through His church. That, that he, he wants us to fulfill the ministry obligations of the church with the people of the church and fulfill the financial obligations of the church through the people also. That's just how He's designated it to work. Yeah, if God wanted to, I mean, come on now, they're paving streets with gold. If God wanted to, I mean, He could fund everything He wants to. It's no problem for Him to do that. I mean, God has stopped time before. He's rained fire and brimstone. I mean, He has done all kinds of stuff in the Scriptures, split the Red Sea wide open. I mean, if God wanted to, He could open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, right? I mean, that's even in the Scriptures about this very thing. But God has equipped us in such a way to say, this is an act of faith. If I do that, my people will never learn to rely and trust me, right? Right? And so there's the blessing, the joy again of tithing. So practical application for my personal financial life. Just two points here, again, just kind of maybe repetitive on these. But the first one is this. God wants me to give my tithe 10% of all my increase. Here's the key thing, by faith. Just trust Him and just by faith do that. I will let you know this. If this is a new practice for you, um, it, it might be one of those things where you jump out of the gates and then fall back on it. Uh, I encourage you this, just keep doing that. Yes. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Eventually it becomes a habit. It becomes one of those things. And trust me, you'll recognize the, the great joy that's involved with Amen. it. Okay? And then let her be there. God wants me to make him a priority by giving him first fruits. Okay? That God gets first 
he doesn't get the leftovers. He gets the first, and that shows the priority that's there. Again, understand the heart behind this. I hope you have is this thing of saying, if you're not involved in this tremendous blessing, it really is a blessing of a Christian trait and principle of tithing. It is awesome. It's not difficult to understand, but it is a huge aspect of faith. It's a huge step of faith. So here's the question. Are we going to believe God and His Word and by faith simply do what He's called us to do? I'll end with this, and and again, I'm not trying to be... I'll say this, if we had of the membership of Bible Baptist Church 100% participation in God's plan of tithing, then we would have no building fund. We, we currently would have equipped among the church about what is needed to go ahead and move forward with that, right? Not, not today, but what I'm saying is we would definitely be moving forward in a much quicker clip in that direction. I say this, it, it would be awesome to see all of God's people catch the mindset and heart of God in this area. What could God do with a church that is not only all on board with soul winning and prayer and that, but also on God's agenda in the area of their pocketbook as well? I'm telling you, it's limitless what God could do with a church that has that mindset of this is God's money and this is God's providing. We want to steward it well. The trajectory of only could be imagined of what God could do. It's incredible. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation.